Hello, and welcome back to yet another edition of Comfortably Unnumb, the official podcast of the Umbrella Society. Once again, my name is Blake Anderson. I'm the program manager here at the Umbrella Society and also the host of this podcast. I believe today will be the last cast in a while featuring a current staff of the Umbrella Society. Uh, after today, I'll be bringing in members of our upcoming recovery campaign, celebrating individuals and leaders in our community who have found success in their personal recovery journey. Um, there are so many amazing and unique stories out there where people have had the courage to make a change and begin the recovery journey. Um, we're definitely committed to sharing these inspirational stories with you. Now, the story today, it's focusing on a topic that we don't talk about that often, and that is cannabis use and addiction. Uh, the common belief is that cannabis is not addictive. And in today's day and age, we're hearing a lot more about the benefits of cannabis use. Um, but we hear less and less now about the potential dangers, which is why I'm really happy to have Brianna on our program today. Uh, Brianna is one of our wonderful admin staff, um, and she also has an unusual condition called cannabinoid hyperesthesis syndrome. Um, man, that's a hard word to pronounce. Um, this is, in essence, an allergic reaction to THC buildup in the system. So I'll let Brianna explain this in greater detail. Um, but the challenging aspect of this situation is although Brianna suffered from this debilitating condition, she was unable to quit using cannabis for years. Brianna's identity and her mental health intervention was primarily attached to her cannabis use. And it took really an active pursuit of recovery and commitment for her to finally quit. So I'm proud of Brianna to having the courage uh, to come onto this program and to talk about it um, without further ado. All right, Brianna, thank you so much for coming on this program. I've been uh, trying to hound you down for the last couple months now, so I'm, I'm glad that you finally came on and uh, you know made some time for this. Uh, you know, Obviously, this is a little bit of a different subject matter that we're talking about. So today we're, we're speaking uh, more about cannabis use and cannabis use disorder. Um, you have a very uh, different relationship with cannabis, uh, with a disorder that you know that has, has kind of come about in, in your life. Can you uh, talk about that just a little bit and explain you know what what this is? Yeah, so I have cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, which I'm just going to short form as CHS throughout this because I do not want to say that, but yeah. it's essentially just a buildup of cannabinoids in my system that gets to a breaking point where I just have too much and I have to kind of expel them in a way, which my doctor kind of explained is they, they kind of act like bubbles and then they start to pop. And once a, an amount of them start to pop at once, then I just get sick. And that's where the hyperemesis comes in. Hyperemesis is just constant and aggressive vomiting. Right. And at that point, I'm unable to keep food, water, anything down. Oftentimes I end up severely dehydrated and I end up having to be hospitalized due to this. Right. So that's, that's kind of the gist of it all. And, and this isn't like, you know, I'm sick for a day. I'm sick, you know, uh, overnight. This is like days and days on end. What was your, what's your longest episode been? Um, the last one I believe was the longest and that was, I believe five weeks. Wow. Of just straight not being able to hold anything down. Can't hold food, water, I anything mean, I, down. Right. I can yeah. only imagine. Yeah. 12 hours of a stomach flu and it's like that wipes me out for weeks. So I can only imagine the, you know, having to rebuild back after that as well. Um, so, you know, I would love to start, you know, because this has been, you know, quite the journey for you to kind of, you know, get on the other side of it. But can we just backtrack a little bit and talk about, 
you know, your early introduction to, to weed and, um, you know, what your relationship was like prior to, you know, having these symptoms arise. Um, and, you know, th- like I said, this uh, cannabis is a really tough one because it's, it's something that is, is quite accepted. It's celebrated, uh, you know, especially these parts of the world and, you know, Western BC. Um, and it's, it's something that, you know, has, it can be downplayed, but right. You know, it, the, the serious kind of side effects that, you know, people experience isn't talked about the addictive, you know, components isn't really discussed that much. So I'd love to dive into it a little bit. So yeah. When did you, you know, first get introduced and, and what, yeah. What did that look like for you? Well, I was, I guess I was about 14 or 15 where I kind of started being introduced to weed and also to alcohol and i kind of just started beginning that process of just going out and partying and those kind of things and we kind of took over just because it was something that all of my friends did it was something that kind of everybody did it was something that i watched my you know my dad do my whole life and i just kind of thought it was accepted and that was that's totally fine so i i kind of picked up on that i didn't start life out with a huge amount of like hobbies or interests and I wasn't very good in school and I kind of felt like I connected with people who smoked weed more than I connected with other people just based on the things we had in common so I kind of clicked to those kind of people anyways and I guess that's where it kind of progressed I, I guess it was probably a few years maybe not a few years maybe one year before I started smoking every day it okay. was a consistent like all throughout the day going home at lunch like doing all those right. things to make sure that i have it throughout the day how old were you then like probably 16, 17 maybe 15 or 16 okay when i kind of officially started every day and that was like the constant in my life was just that's what i did all day and you know around work time i would go on my breaks or if i was in school i'd go on my lunch breaks or go on my spare blocks of school and go off and hang out with my friends and do just that right so it was it started kind of young and it took a while before i started actually noticing the negatives right but so during this time like you were able to still kind of hold down a job and go to school and right so it's yeah it was it was kind of just supplementary to your daily life experience essentially yeah it was i was enjoying it and i you know it, it became part of my life and i didn't really notice any negative signs and in fact at the time I really thought there were some positives because for some reason I couldn't figure out why but I was losing weight and it was like I had I was quite overweight at the time but I had started losing it and I was like well you know it's probably just because I'm actively going to go smoke weed places it's probably because I'm going all over the place so I really I actually saw that as a positive. I was like, oh, great. Gets you out in nature, gets gets you out in walk. Yeah, yeah, like I'm I'm usually a pretty lazy person. So it was, you know, great. It's a motivating factor in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, And in my mind, I'm like, oh, well, all I'm seeing is positives at this point. Everything's great. Mm. So that started to change, of course. And I didn't realize till years after that obviously that was because of why I'm sick. And it was taking away weight slowly before my first episode of having it. Okay. But I didn't realize that at the time. Right, right. So how long did you just go as, as an active daily pot user before the, the bottom started kicking out or you did started seeing negative side effects? Was it, you know, big at first or did it kind of start coming on slowly? It, I mean, it came on slowly. So, I mean, I didn't get my first episode until the day of my graduation. Around that time, I had started getting sick and no one knew why. 
but so I was about 17 at the time going on 18 almost but 17 so I had gone you know a couple years so I had lost lots of weight I had lost almost 100 pounds I was severely underweight I was not doing very well but again in my mind I thought I'm fine I feel great I you know whatever no problems then when I started getting sick um, the day of my graduation I had to go and get my hair done my makeup done all that stuff got that done I was throwing up during that process I was sitting in my hairdresser's bathtub because water was the only thing that gave me any relief from how sick I felt and that afternoon after I got all my hair and makeup done I went straight to a clinic and they gave me a grab all shot right in my ass to make me feel a bit better for so that I could make it through my grad ceremonies right make it through me being in the dress and all that stuff and get my pictures whatever and about four hours after that shot while I'm at the dinner I got sick again and I had to go to the hospital and that was my first during your grad yeah wow yeah so I was I made it through the grad dinner and then as soon as I actually not even finished the grad dinner I had to go sit side like aside and I had to start throwing up and had my mom come and pick me up and take me straight to the hospital what do you think it was at the time um I don't know I don't know what I believed it was no I had never been to the hospital I'd never like needed to go so I didn't have any kind of ideas of what it was so no one had ever even asked me no one had kind of given me a hint of what it could be right and like I remember on the day like because I didn't know anything I remember my mom encouraging me to smoke pot that day because she's like well it'll help with the nausea right like because we didn't know what it was yeah. like she's like you know what you do this all the time just just do this so you can get through your grad and then we can worry about this afterwards so it was actually causing this you're using as a tool to uh to, you know get yeah. over it essentially yeah to wow. cope with it huh. and we did but we just didn't know at yeah. the time we had never seen a doctor we hadn't spoken about it we hadn't heard anything that even murmurs of someone saying like this could be weed related right so we just had no idea yeah so we were just going off what we had heard from other things so, you know, in a cancer patient, that might help with your nausea. So, right. you know, that's what she encouraged me to do. Fine, just get through it. And after graduation, we went straight to the hospital. And that's where they kind of started to bring up. The, I mean, they did every test under the sun. But okay. they after that, they kept asking, you know, do you smoke weed? And I would always say, yeah, yeah, no problem. And I do, I do. But uh, they came back with it and told me, like, you we think you have cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome and of course at the time i had no idea what that meant so this was the the first time in right after kind of graduation they ran the test yeah, and they, they, they I pinpointed few, i was a few few days in at that point sure, i think okay. they had they'd kept me overnight and they'd, they wanted like, to sort this out doing all these tests like ct scans and doing all these things to see what it was right. and you know they'd kept hinting at it just asking me about it but no one had specifically come out and say is this like this is right. weed related. This is right. caused by this, but I just kind of heard it throughout. And then at the end, that's kind of the only conclusion they came up with after a lot of these tests came back and there's nothing wrong with me. Right. Yeah. Hmm. So once you get this information, I guess this is kind of where your journey almost starts in the sense that, okay, now it's out there, you know, the whole time before this is, you know, positive in my life, you know, this is just part of my life. Um, there's positives, there's not a lot of negatives. Now all of a sudden it's been thrown in your face that actually what's <laughs> making you sick 
is you know your weed use so what what first goes through your head and, and what was your first kind of you know course of action once you found this out so i mean at first i guess i was in denial a little bit i didn't want to believe that because mm-hmm. i had truly created my identity around me being a pot smoker I wasn't ready to let that go. I wasn't ready to lose all of the things that I had built around this. Like my dream was to open a bong store and run a dispensary. Like that was my future. Okay, so I had you were, created pot committed here. Yeah, yeah, I had created my identity entirely around weed. Right. And hearing that, I I remember saying to my mom, "I wish I had cancer. I would have rather have cancer." Wow. Because it was just like it was so ingrained in who I thought I was. That it was like, that was the end for me. And it, I wasn't ready to let that go. Right. And of course it took me many years before I did, but I was, you know, I just, I would not have wanted that. you couldn't even conceptualize it at that first. No, I was a teenager who had only ever experienced weed and that's how my life was. That's what I lived my life around. I didn't want to go anywhere and not do it. I didn't want to come home from work and not have it. Like, well, and this is something that I, you know, I see with so many you know, it, addictions across the board is when identity is wrapped up in your substance use, then this just, you know, compounds the challenges of, of trying to rid yourself of the substances, right? Totally. I mean, this is this huge, huge component of your life and, and who you feel that you are is now just being stripped away, not just taking away a substance, it's taking away a part of who you are, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or how you identify. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a big jump for me and... I took it seriously, not for very long at the beginning. I gave so how it. How long could you? The first, the first time I heard this, I gave it probably two months. I would say I gave it two months, and I had felt good. I was, you know, feeling great, and I was like, you know what? I just, I, I can smoke. It's fine. And of course, this, like syndrome, this kind of disease, I guess. But um, it doesn't hit you right away so this is the real mindfuck i i feel with this with this is you know especially it's the fact that you're not getting immediate consequences for your actions it's not like this is happening that night now you're throwing up again can you kind of explain how long how long does it take like you know when you first open up that door again to start smoking so how how long does it take to build up in your system so i mean at the beginning it was it was a couple months, maybe. Like, it really depended on how much I was smoking. Right. Depended on how much I was using at the time. Like, and at the beginning, you know, you start out kind of slow because you're not used to it. You don't have a tolerance. You're not, like, at that point. So, you know, I, I think at the beginning, I tried smoking a couple times and then gave up for a couple days and then was back on it again and basically became chronic pot smoking within, like, a week and was back to my regular routine. And I, the first time around, I think I got maybe eight eight weeks or so in between. Maybe actually, maybe a little longer. Maybe three months in between. So you kind of picked up again, kind of picked up where you left off. Didn't see any consequences. Didn't see it, so just kept going. And maybe the docs were full of shit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah right. Exactly. And then all of a sudden, wham! You get hit again. Yeah. About three months after, I got hit again, and I, you know, I went back to the hospital, and I was in serious pain. And honestly, I. I, at the beginning, I knew, like, in my heart, I knew it was going to happen, but you don't really feel it until right up to the end. And by the time you start to feel sick again, 
it's already too late. Like you, right. there was no, you can't put on the, even brakes. if I stopped at that moment, yeah. <clears throat> which it's I couldn't, in your, it's in your system. Yeah. Which right. I couldn't have anyways, yeah. because that was like, I needed something to physically stop me. Like I couldn't right. do it on my own. Right. So I, I, I knew by that point, by the time I started feeling sick and I couldn't really eat and my stomach was a little bit like ugh, tangled. I knew that I wouldn't be able to go back. Like I would, if I stopped now, I'd just get sick in a couple of days. So right. it didn't, it didn't matter by that point. And then you just get sick again. And it, it wasn't too bad at the beginning. Like it, it gets progressively worse the more relapses I had. Right. So like your first episode, how many days did that last? It was maybe a week. Okay. Yeah. It was maybe and a then... week. And the next one was maybe you know, 10 days. The mm. next one after that was maybe, you know, 15, 20 days. And it just got worse and worse every relapse I had. Right. So how, you know, after these relapses that are kind of progressing was, you know, did your thought process change? Did the interventions change? I'm sure your supports around you, their conversations with you probably changed at about this point. What, what did that look like? I mean, at the beginning, a lot of people were also in denial. They'd never heard of this. <clears throat> I was, you know, the first person that I knew or had ever heard of having this. So it was a lot of people around me were in denial and a lot of people weren't that supportive because it didn't really seem that real. Like, right. you know, if, if I had it, then why didn't everyone else have it? And so there wasn't a huge amount of support at the beginning. And, you know, people would smoke pot in front of me and I, I didn't want to give up that lifestyle anyways. So I would never ask somebody not to. And it kind of, I mean, I guess over the time watching me go in and out of the hospital so much, people kind of started to realize like, this isn't, this isn't just not mess- some bullshit. We're not messing around. Yeah. yeah this yeah. is not just some bullshit that she's right. made up to get out of this lifestyle, whatever it is that they thought. But it was like it. And then I started seeing more support, I guess, at that point, because people were like, this is going to kill you. Right. You're in the hospital longer and longer each time and it's getting worse and worse. Right. And this and, you know, this, uh, you know, condition, it can have fatal results. Right. Like we have seen in in the stats that, you know, people can actually die from this. Right. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you're not taking in any fluids or, you know, uh, food for a long period of time, that's putting you in a pretty compromising position you know health wise um did that kind of cross your mind like where where were where were we at as far as denial is concerned so how many how many relapses are we talking so you was it kind of a fairly steady process of um having a spell recovering not using for a little bit and then using, and then three months later, getting hit again, and just picking—is it was it was it fairly consistent, or you know? It was it was a relatively consistent thing for me. It was I would say, with each of the cycles and the process that it takes, I would say I was hospitalized twice per year, with recovery time in between and all that for seven years. For seven years, holy, um, and and during that time. Were there ever periods, you know, where you were, you know, starting to scribe out longer stretches of sobriety or, or abstinence? Or was it pretty much you were just in this cycle? I mean, it kind of varied each time, but like it did, 
nearly consistently be about two two times a year but I think near the end I guess not maybe the very last time but the time before that and the previous times it was it was getting shorter actually because I was getting sick faster and so I was in the hospital more okay and I was getting less clean time in between I was just relapsing so shortly afterwards that it, it was happening much more frequent okay so now we're kind of getting to the point where okay it's clear and present we've we've gone through the uh you know the denial of and you know that maybe this is you know not what you know maybe the doctor's got it wrong or you know maybe i can skirt around it this way or that but then there must come a point where it's like no this is a clear consequence of my using cannabis um however you know uh you continue to use. And I think this is always an interesting one because the, you know, the talk always, you know, and, and, and the, the, the pro cannabis, you know, talk and my, myself back they included, you know, it was, Hey, this is something that you can't get addicted to. Right. Yeah. And you know, like, I, I, I mean, there's always the jokes of, of, you know, kind of cannabis use being, you know, like, uh, you know, a lesser than is because it's something that you can't get addicted to, you know, you can't overdose from you know in in so many ways but then here's an instance like this where you're actually seeing really really crucial um you know medical consequences you know you have to stop and yet you're not stopping so for me that proves right to the same point that this is an addiction like any other you know and we had the behavioral addiction group on you know a lot of times these these addictions with really negative consequences um, you know, might not per se be considered physical addictions, but there's so much more to play with, with addiction. What was kind of going through in, in your mind, if you can kind of shed light on it, that, you know, what was kind of the conversation in your head or, you know, or with your family and supports, you know, where you knew you had to make a change, but it just wasn't happening? Well, I mean, a couple of years into my substance use, I actually was working at Umbrella. And I like I vividly remember people would call about their children's substance use, their children's weed addictions, and I remember hanging up the phone and laughing because I didn't take it seriously. I even though I was in it, even when you were you know struggling with right, right. I just I didn't think it was that bad. I didn't think I had an addiction. I I just was so in denial of what that actually was, and I was it was so ingrained in me that you know this can't be addictive this you know isn't you can't overdose from this nothing nothing negative is going to come from this it's a plant like you you hear all these things and like my god even people telling me well you've tried the wrong strain that's like like just it there was just so many things and it's so like accepted that I just I didn't believe it even telling people I didn't believe it like even when you're having hospitalization and after hospitalization you still are at that point where which is that crazy, you know, it's that, that line, never underestimate the power of denial, right? You yeah. know, it's you, right. So you can be living it, but still not believing it, which is, right, fascinating, yeah. And I mean, at that point, I hadn't really started seeing any, like, counseling or access to any groups or doing anything like that. I really did just think, like, well, I just need to stop and that should be fine, but it wasn't as easy as I really thought it was. Right, so you weren't, like, utilizing any uh, traditional methods and strategies to uh recovery essentially yeah. we're not looking at this as recovery no. right or getting into recovery for just based on 
there's the cultural kind of, you know, sense of, of what cannabis is, do you think? Or is it, was it just... Uh... Well, I mean, part of that and then kind of part of it was was working here was because I I saw real substance use. Right. And I just, you know, if I had said something during a phone call with somebody who has a heroin addiction about my weed, I would have been laughed at. And I right. knew that. Right. And I knew that you know, people use this as a substitute for when they are trying to get off drugs. Right. They, this is such a backstone like thought that people don't like, I just, it was so ingrained in me that this was not harmful. Right. So I was just so deeply in denial and I, I'd never had anyone to tell me that it was besides right. my mother, who of course I'm not going to listen to. Right. Like, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Like I'm a 19 year old girl. I didn't want to listen to my mother. And she was the only person who was telling me like, this is a problem. You have right. an addiction. Right. But I just didn't see it like that. Right. Like I really just saw it as something I like to do and I just didn't want to give up. Right. So there obviously, you know, um, came a point in this cycle um, you know, that, that you started turning the corners. Was there any time kind of in the middle of your, you know, pattern that you kind of had some, you know, epiphanies or some moments of, of realization like, oh shit, this isn't sustainable. Or maybe I should like any of that, you know, they, we call it kind of like that contemplation phase right before making that change. So obviously you're pre-contemplative, even when all of this stuff was going on, was there a time where you kind of noticeably remember shifting to that contemplation of, you know, making a change? Uh, I guess contemplation for me kind of began when I realized that after quitting smoking weed, I suddenly had so much money and I didn't know what to do with it. I've always been good with money, so I never, I always had savings and suddenly I had an abundance of money that I'd never had before. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go travel. One of my friends was over in Asia at the time, so she encouraged me to go over there. And being so away from the culture and being mm. away from, you know, the everyday use, the people who are my neighbors who smoke, the everyone. Yeah. Just being separated from it in a culture that is so not weed involved. Gotcha. Really gave me kind of some confidence in saying, like, I don't need this okay. because I had taken myself out of that environment entirely but again that had only really been contemplation and it was easier said than done when you're completely separate from it right so when you're you've been removed from the environment so obviously this is a lot of of you know what was you know underlying with you is this is an environmental issue you know partly right yeah so you get removed from it you're on the other side of the world you're probably experiencing some new things in life and seeing things through a new vantage point you kind of have that glimmer of oh hang on a second i don't need this this isn't who i am right yeah. okay so while you're gone that's great and then you dive back and it how kind of right back to it or you kind of hold up a bit of resistance for a while i you know i I don't remember exact timelines on this, but I would say I probably made it a couple of weeks before I got home and started using again. Right. And was it the case for you that once you're using again, it just becomes every day? Yeah. Right. So you just pick up right pretty much where you left off. Similar to a lot of substance use patterns, right? Yeah. You, you're jumping right back in. 
Yeah. Okay. And and at the time, I mean, that was still a few years in and I w it wasn't a guilt thing. It wasn't a shame thing for me because I could still do it around people. Right. And there would be no judgment. Right. It took about year five or maybe four or five before people stopped saying, do you want a toke? Do you want this? So they're, they're well aware now. Hey, this yeah. is right. If I care about this person, I'm not going to be encouraging this. Correct. Right. Yeah. Okay. So obviously your mom is saying right from the get go, this is a problem. Did other people start chiming it, you know, in, in your life or did you have other, you know, uh, or, or what, what was that tipping point when you did realize that you had to start working on it? Was there an episode that lasted longer? What was, was there a rock bottom? Was there a, what, what happened for you that spurred, you know, starting to look for bigger changes? Well, I mean, I guess the start of that would probably be when I started seeing a counselor just because okay. I was still using at the time and I would still occasionally go through episodes and I, I wasn't fully given up at that point, but kind of listening to her explanation and realizing like, you know, obviously I'm doing this for a reason. Like I'm not continuing this cycle for no reason. And I was obviously not in the best mental state. Right. I was, I have and always have struggled with my sleeping. So I had right. been using it as something that helped me sleep. Oh, so right. And, you know, I didn't, I don't, I didn't enjoy drinking that much. So I didn't want to do it very often, even though people say, oh, that helps you sleep. It didn't, it was not the same thing. It didn't give mm. me that calm, that like happy feeling that I got. So it was, it was kind of just seeing the counselor and starting to talk about, you know, what, brought these issues on in the first place why do i keep using right so that un the underlying issues basically right mm -hmm. yeah which you know same thing we discussed with behavioral addiction right it's it's what are what are those needs and yeah and, and what is what is it giving you that we need to be looking at and addressing that when we take this away what are those needs going to be right mm -hmm. and and at the beginning it was to start out it was you know i'm depressed i'm depressed and i'm not sleeping and that was something that we could counteract and then kind of slowly realizing like, you know, I'm, I've got some ADHD and my brain is always running. I just wanted to turn it off. So I kind of started coming to the root issues of why I was using, which kind of helped me realize that there was other solutions. Right. So then you're actually having to utilize and practice tools and better coping strategies and, and all that stuff. Right. Well, and so, she and she validated it. She validated that this was a real addiction, right? Which, besides my mother, no one had ever done, right? So that was something that kind of, even though I was still using, it was something that I'd never heard, right? You could actually now frame this differently in your own head that hey, this is something that I need to take seriously. This is you know yeah, this is a real issue, and you know, and it's hard with with addiction because I think sometimes we get in this like um, measuring well my addiction's worse than yours because I and at the end of the day addiction is addiction is addiction mm -hmm. and you know I'm I'm of the mind that if it is causing a negative impact in your life and if it's being used for the wrong reasons um, you know and if it's having negative consequences but you don't have that ability to stop well yeah that's a, that's a big problem right and and the controls not there right so um, so that must have been really empowering for you it was. Right. Yeah. And I mean, even while seeing her, I saw her for probably two years. I mean, I used almost consecutively through it. Okay. 
like I was still using, I was still, I mean, it, it was still happening about twice a year where I ended up in hospital. It was still very much the same cycle, but I was seeing and understanding more about it, which made me connect to more services. So like I started attending Smart Recovery. Right. I started talking to my doctor about getting on proper medication for this and right. doing all these things, which gradually kind of empowered me to make some more better decisions for me right. and eventually stop. So you're still going through it, but you're going through it informed and starting to become empowered and starting to put in the work essentially, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and looking at this differently as, hey, this is an issue that I'm addressing and dealing with as opposed to this is just going to be my life. And <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's looking it. at yeah. it as an addiction instead of just an inconvenience. Right. Because that's what it was to me for so many years. Right. So could you um, maybe just um, bring me up to maybe your last episode? And I mean, so now you, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of you to, to be able to say that you're, you know, almost two years uh, in recovery, you know, from, from cannabis use. Um, obviously, no episodes since then. What, what was that last, you know, um, spell like? Can you kind of bring us up to speed, you know, on, on what that looked like and then what gave you the impetus to really turn that corner and get some consistent time? Because up until then, okay, you're still using, but you're working at it. You're kind of gaining those tools and that understanding. What was that tipping point which made you go, nope, I'm, I'm doing this? I guess it was probably the last two that I had. Okay. The, the second to last one, I was so sick and it was right before I was going on a trip and we were coming up to like days before I'm leaving, supposed to be leaving for this trip. And I'm so sick. Like, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to get on this flight. I'm not going to be able to do all these things. Like I, I'm going to be stuck here and all because I'm sick. And at that point I was in like week four and a half and I was still sick in the hospital. They still wouldn't release me. I still couldn't hold food or water down. And that was pretty serious. But then I was told that I also had three ulcers. I wow. was like so unwell that like I could feel how sick I was. Like I, I knew that my body, like the feeling of like bubbles popping and fizz in my throat all the time. And like right. my stomach acid was fucking eating away at yep. the inside of me. Right. And I could feel it and I knew that I needed to stop at that point. And that was the longest period that I had had in hospital sick. It was It was about five and a half weeks. And I got well, I believe, a day before I left for that trip. Wow. And then it took me out of the environment. And I was sober for while I was away because that was an easy solution for me was to just get away and separate myself from it. And then when I came back, my next relapse, funny enough, was right before I left to go and visit my family in Ontario. And I got to Ontario and I smoked weed that morning before leaving on that flight. I got there and they had to take me to the hospital as soon as I arrived wow. because I was sick. And this isn't family that you see all the time. Nope. This is right. No, nope. so this and was like was... a big deal to get back there. Yeah, I had to immediately be taken to the hospital. They took care of me. Luckily, it was a smaller episode. But around that time, I had also just lost my uncle due to him drinking himself to death. Right. And I kind of had this epiphany of like, if I keep doing this, I'm going to die. That's, that's going to be you. Yeah. yeah. 
Like I'm going to die. Your body can't withstand that kind of punishment. Even if it's only a couple times a year, that's still devastating. Those are right. Too many days to be in that state. Well, and at that point as well, like, because with CHS, for some reason you, you crave a shower or a bath. Something about being in water really helps. But by that point I was like head to toe covered in second degree burns from being in the water so hot. Oh, wow. That I was sitting under the water trying to relieve any pain that I could get, but I just couldn't. Like that was the only solution there was. And as soon as that water stopped, you're right back to square one, which of course doesn't help with the dehydration because you're then sweating out the only water contents you have. Right. Right. So it's this vicious relief. Right. And you know, the other thing that, you know, I think is interesting about those last two is how untimely they came on. So this isn't something that you can uh, predict, right? So you, you know, it's not like you can say, Hey, I'm going to smoke. And you know, on August 15th, I'm going to get sick for so many days. This is, I'm going to get sick at some point for an indeterminate amount of time, uh, indeterminate amount of severity and can come on at any time. It's not going to be discerning that if you have a trip on the go, like, so obviously that the day before your trip, man, you got a flight, you got travel plans. Obviously this is something that you've planned for. And this is can completely be hijacked by your syndrome. Right. And, going back to see relatives this is kind of a big deal we're going back to see relatives completely hijacked by you know chs totally yeah right so okay so you're at you're at that point you've now been working hard to you know determine you know and getting these tools determining what the root factors are what gave you the courage to finally you know stop was there a moment was there is there a moment of clarity has there you know what what has recovery looked like for you now that you're you know two years in bumpy roads uh any you know well i mean i guess it depends on this the way you look at it because i i needed to figure out my mental health and that was something that i knew i couldn't do if i kept relapsing because i can't take my medication mm-hmm. in the period of me relapsing i'm too sick i can't I can't really figure out or diagnose what's wrong with me because I don't go long enough in between to actually see the real symptoms. So, and I was, I was pretty depressed. So I was like, I, I need to make this change so that I can understand what's actually happening. Because Mm. honestly, as soon as I stopped, I, I, the depression was still there, but my baseline was down. So it took a little bit of time and then I realized that it wasn't depression like I it was just temporary and that was just how it was but even to this day I'm still kind of trying to work out the right medications for me the right things to figure it out my sleep still sucks right like it really was something that was helping me sleep and helping me get through it but I'm I'm on that path and I wouldn't turn back I don't want to turn back it's not something I have any interest in doing anymore Right. I, it's not my identity anymore, right. which it was for so long. I had nothing outside of it, and I really don't feel connected to it anymore. Right. So you've kind of gotten to that point where you're, yeah, you've seen some liberation from, yeah. Yeah, and there wasn't, kind of... I mean, I guess the relapse was one thing, but there wasn't really a, like a specific reason on why. I just I just really wanted to figure out what was next. Right. So it's like just that natural progression. Yeah. I just kind of grew out of it. And would you, you know, would you say too that, you know, 
kind of building, you know, these skills and kind of building in your personal life probably had something to do with that as well, where all of a sudden it's it's elbowing out that identity piece. It's elbowing out maybe that environmental piece just based on you evolving and growing as a person. Is that kind of safe to say? Well, I definitely learned some tools like smart recovery taught me a lot of tools to kind of, you know, understand more about it. But really that my counselor was who gave me the courage to stop because it was something that I needed I needed the validation to understand and I needed to move forward knowing that I had the supports, right. whether that was the support of the world or my friends or whatever, but at least I had my counselor who supported me behind it. And that right. gave me the confidence to keep moving forward. And isn't that like so true to any addiction? As soon as it's identified as a problem, hey, I have a problem. There's no real turning back. All of a sudden, you know, you may have relapse along the way, but you're never going to look at it the same way once you've kind of identified this as a problem as what it is right it kind of takes away that uh the glamour (laughs) in in essence right and um so obviously that was such a key piece you know and and i think that it's important and i think that's why i'm really happy that you came on this program is that you know this is one that i think a lot of people suffer from um you know as we know now you know, I I, th- I think, you know, weed is one of these real hard ones because I think it does give people, I think people, um, you know, there's, there's this ability to use it healthily and, and responsibly and, and, and safely and for, for any individual. Um, as you were saying, some people have used it as a way to get off of harder, more, you know, um, you know, uh, substantial uh, substances. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it, it's hard to say, it's not a black and white issue is, is exactly what I'm trying to say, but I think it has been pushed, especially in the last couple of years with legalization that, Hey, here's just all these great benefits. And I think it's great. And we can, and we can talk about those and I'm, I'm not one to refute those by any means, but I think it is okay. And it's really important to shed light on, Hey, there are some detractors too. This isn't just some miracle plant that is, you know, working wonders there our consequences as well with yours it's such an extreme case but we've seen a lot more people in the hospital now um younger folks with psychosis um through you know cannabis use and and a lot more people identifying as having um you know an addiction to cannabis or a cannabis use disorder um which we didn't really see and i i see there's a couple ways i think the strains right now are so potent and so strong it's not the same kind of weed that i was smoking in high school and our my parents definitely not were smoking you know this is uh an advanced uh you know uh, you know higher strains and and that's going to have some more consequences but we don't really talk like i said about those negative sides how do you kind of approach it like i mean i think you've kind of been asked a few times to speak about this What's your what's your kind of take on it? Because you're definitely not someone who demonizes it by any means, right? Like, where where's your where's your stance on it? I mean, I I it was my life, so I really do see how it can help people. I see the benefits for some people. I have no like anger towards people who that works for. Like, obviously, it works for somebody. But even when I was smoking pot, I knew that people with anxiety didn't do very well like it always made it made some of my friends anxious made some of them so anxious they threw up that was just that was how it was and it i always saw that there was kind of two angles of it but now knowing the condition that i have and kind of knowing more about it it's i mean it when i was diagnosed 
I was the youngest recorded case. They had never seen anything like it. Oh, and really? Okay. Now I'm in a group on Facebook, a CHS kind of support group, and there is thousands of members. Hmm. Like it's it's not as rare as we had it once. Like when I first got it, it was rare. I didn't know anyone who had it. I've never heard of anyone who had it. Yeah. It was just, it was very unique and I didn't understand, but it's, it's getting worse and more and more people are getting this syndrome. Like it's, right. it's becoming more common and I totally believe that's due to high THC content and right. you know, all the just things that crazy work. high. Yeah. THC yeah, strength. Because yeah. I, I'm sure, you know, in the seventies you're smoking 7% THC and now yeah. the average that you get is 23. Right. Like you're, it's, things are changing and yeah. it's, of course, building in people's systems differently and things like shatter and like, like can like uh, edibles and stuff. They're yeah. all hitting you differently than they did right. years ago, which I don't necessarily think there wasn't CHS before. I just think it was a hell of a lot harder to get to. Gotcha. But now we're at a point where it's, it is actually more common. I know in this city alone, I know five people who have it. Right. Who, who are like within my age range, people I know, like not just right. clients or anything like that. Like these are people I know yeah. who have this. And it, it just was so rare for so long that it wasn't, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. Well, it's not, not an anomaly. That's for sure. Right. You know, and, and, and I think you're, you're totally right. I think, you know, the, the product has changed. And so people's uh, reaction and response to it's going to change as well. Um, you know, and, and I, I think, you know, I look at I look at this as as any other substance, you know, some people it's such a unique and individual experience. Some people can drink and can drink responsibly and it's not gonna bug them. And others, that's not an option for them, right? You know, it's it's such a unique and individual experience. And I'm glad that you got to a point where you were validated and you could know, hey, maybe not for other people, but for me, this is a problem, this is something I need to address. And that takes, I think, a lot of courage when it is something as accepted as 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 cannabis, right? So um, it puts you in a, in a bit of a different uh, category for sure, you know. And and like I said, I think my whole objective of this podcast is to get as many different voices from as many different angles. And and so, like I said, I think this is covering an angle that maybe isn't talked about as much, um, you know, as other substances. So you know, I appreciate you, you know, having the courage to come and talk about it um you know where where are you looking at it now um you know is this just something that you feel you're gonna have to continue to work on uh in your life you know or are you kind of at that point now where you're feeling out of the early recovery phase and kind of into that maintenance phase of of your recovery i mean i don't i don't get triggered like i used to i don't really miss it quite like i used to because I know that if I started again, I would just be putting myself at square one. It's right. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. It's going to happen. And I've made too much progress with my mental health, with myself, that I'm, mm. I'm not willing to turn back. But, I mean, it's, it's going to be a process the rest of my life. I know that. And, you know, there's some times where it sucks and I feel sad that you know i watch some shitty mom movie and i realize that you know they're taking edibles at 40 and i'm like well that would have been fun right but i can't do that now and that's not an option for me and that it sucks but i'm also i'm okay with that right 
it's not the end of the world. Yeah. I don't need to be catering my life around it. It's it's already taken enough time. Right. Right. So it's time to get your yeah. Yeah. Your time back and yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm super thrilled that, that you came on. I know this is not easy stuff to talk to, about a lot of times, um, but I, I think you did great. And I'm, I'm really, you know, really happy that you were able to come on and share this. And, uh, you know, like you say, this is not as unique as, as, you know, people may think. And so, you know, you may be talking and this is resonating with somebody who is, you know, maybe in the earlier stages going through what, what you were going through for seven years, you know? So, um, I think it's really important and, uh, yeah, really powerful that you came on and talked about it. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. I'm, I'm glad I finally wrangled you down. Um, yeah. And, and maybe we'll have you back on sometime again in the future. Okay. Cool. Sounds good. Thanks, Brianna. Of course. Thanks for having me. Adios.